Hello and welcome to the Relationship Breakthrough Show from Aligned With Love. I'm Matt. And I am Rebecca. This is the place for people to have a magical, loving, intimate relationship. Thanks for joining us. Now let's get started. Abusing relationships can take many forms and range from subtle control strategies to full-blown physical assault. It can be highly damaging, not only physically, but also emotionally, and lead to long-term effects. Even if we escape the relationship, it can lead to scars that can affect us for years, even into new relationships. Today, I'm excited to welcome the incredible Jackie Graville, who is an expert and researcher in the area of abusive and coercive relationships at the University of Busta in England. And she, and she has her own story of having lived through an abusive relationship and successfully removing herself from that and surviving to tell us the story today. We are going to be exploring how prevalent is abuse today, the personality types that are most susceptible to being abused, the biggest red flags that can be a sign that abuse is going on, including some that many will not be aware of. So let's get started. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you, Rebecca. It's so good to be here. My pleasure. How did you come to be so interested in control, manipulation, abuse? What's your personal story? Yes. So I definitely have a personal story. It's not something that I grew up with. I grew up with loving parents and a family, and I didn't know what to look for. Later, my therapist would say that when I met my ex-husband, now ex-husband, who would end up being abusive, that I may have seen the signs, but I didn't know how to translate them. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. So I ended up falling in love with this seemingly amazing person who loved me and was into so many of the same things that I was into. And later I'd find out that all of that, he had really created that persona to draw me in and for me to fall in love with him, which I did. We got married and I ended up leaving after 18 months. It was... It got worse and worse, and I kept trying to fix it, which is so common for people that end up in relationships with abusers. We think, this is me. What did I do? What can I do to fix it? Because the person isn't the same person that we met. They're a different person, and it's really confusing. It really affects your idea of reality because you think, what happened? What did I do? How can I get this person back to the way they were in the beginning of the relationship? And it's just not possible. It doesn't happen. You may see parts of that person occasionally when they come back to a certain part in the cycle of abuse, the the honeymoon phase, after they've gone through the tension building phase and the explosion phase, they'll get back into that oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. They'll be so kind to you. And you'll think, this is the person I fell in love with. Or the person I remember meeting at the very beginning. Because 
abuse can happen in any relationship between two people. It's not, doesn't have to be an intimate relationship. It could be a friend. It could be a family member, a member of the clergy, a coworker, any relationship where two people are interacting, there can be abuse. It's very interesting what you're saying, Jackie, because I'm all, I'm just thinking it can also happen even with only one person. <laughs> How many times do I do abuse ourselves? Mm. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, when we get out of that relationship with an abusive person too, this is something that takes a long time to heal because they've conditioned us to think in a certain way. And they often come to live in our heads rent-free after we have escaped from them. We still hear their voice. I still hear his voice every time. I'm at a grocery store and I have to decide, do I get this thing or this other thing that's on sale? Because every time we went to the store, we had to buy the cheapest thing, no matter what it was. That was part of his financial abuse, which financial abuse happens in 97% of relationships where there's abuse present. It's really, really common and you have to start to recognize where those subconscious thoughts are coming from and say, okay, is this me or is this the voice of somebody else who didn't have my best interests in mind? And that is an ongoing process. Let me tell you, I'm still working on it. So interesting what you're saying. So many times, uh, Jackie, my clients say, ask me, Rebecca, I really, truly tell you, this is not the man that I met. My partner has changed. What happened? Yes. How can I bring him back? Yes, absolutely. Because the person that they present is a really false impression of who they really are. It's a mask. Because if they came to a date, let's say, as they are, no one would say, oh, I want to be in a relationship with you because they're abusive. Nobody goes to a first date where somebody is verbally abusive to you or punches you or whatever ends up happening down the line. They have to create this false persona to reel you in. So you will then be hooked. And then they feel comfortable enough to start taking off that mask and say, okay, I can be who I really am. And by that point, you have opened up to them enough and shared your fears, your story, your struggles. They know exactly how to hurt you, exactly how to manipulate manipulate you because they've been gathering all this information all along the way. And that's not in our frame of mind as abuse survivors. We We just don't think that way. And so it never occurs to us that somebody else will take our vulnerabilities and use those against us. But that's what ends up happening. And it is so uncommon for abusers to change. About 3% end up truly changing is the statistic that I've heard. And that is only for men. Women is a pretty much a 0% chance if they're abusers that they will ever change. So when you look at that, 
it's it's really tough when you're in the relationship, especially an intimate partnership, because you think, I love this person. I don't want to just abandon them when it's hard. And that hope can really become dangerous because you're going to go through this cycle of abuse over and over and over. That person is not going to end up changing, not necessarily because they can't. Well, in some in some cases, they probably can't if they're a sociopath or a psychopath. It may be impossible in their brain wiring for them to change. But for other personalities, it's possible for them to change, but they have no incentive to change. Exactly. Because if they lose you, they will just go on to somebody else. Until society says this is no longer acceptable, calls it out starts legislating against it, like the UK has started to do with coercive control legislation, there's not going to be enough pain and enough consequences for abusers to say, "Eh, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should change. They're getting everything they want. They have no incentive to change. Completely makes sense. And talking about statistics, Jackie, Do you have some statistics based on the research that you have done or studied to give an idea of how extensive abuse is in relationships today? Oh, yeah, it's huge. It's huge. One of the studies that I have seen says about 40% of all adults in the general population have experienced abusive relationships, 40%. And I think that might be low. Because when you factor in all of the aspects of abuse, that might be a lot higher. Um, Another statistic is that around 20% of the general population has a cluster B personality disorder or high tendencies that way, and they engage in a cycle of abuse with their victims. And when I'm talking cluster B, that's that's the psychopathy area, that's sociopaths, psychopaths, narcissistic personality disorder, histrionic, antisocial, and borderline personality disorder. And those are disorders. That's not necessarily mental health. They don't have a mental health disorder or a disability. It's not a disability necessarily, or something that you can medicate like bipolar or something like that. So it's not, oh, these, these people have a disability, so I need to be kind and caring. No, that's, that's different. This is a disorder. People who they choose. Although some people say that psychopaths are born. So there's a debate around that. But if you're in the 40% of the general population that isn't an abuser or has never experienced abuse in a relationship, you are in the minority and consider yourself lucky. <laughs> yeah, it's just so sneaky. What has been your biggest aha moment, Jackie, from struggling for so long to seeing the signs of abuse so clearly as you can see them right now? Mm, there have been many aha moments along the way. But one of them was when I was still living with my ex-husband and I moved out after we had been married for 18 months. I was seeing a therapist and she had known ever since I started seeing her about six months before that I was in an abusive relationship. 
but she was very smart in how she was working with me and she didn't come out and say you're in an abusive relationship because I just wouldn't have been able to accept it my ex-husband lost his job a week before we got married and it took him 16 months to get another job so in my head And we do this. We make excuses for their behavior. And we think, oh, it's because of this, that they're behaving this way. I thought it was because he was stressed because of the job. So when he got a job and things got worse, I was thinking, what in the world? Okay, I've been making excuses for him, but maybe that's not it. And I remember the day I went to see my therapist. She would always give me book recommendations because I was one of those rare clients, apparently, that would actually read the books. (laughs) I wanted to understand and I wanted to grow and I wanted things to get better. So she gave me two book recommendations that day. One of them was Why Does He Do That? Inside the Minds of Angry and Controlling Men by Lundy Bancroft. And the other was The Verbally Abusive Relationship by Patricia Evans. And I got out to the parking lot and I pulled up my app from my library and I found the verbally abusive relationship on audiobook. And as I was driving out of the parking lot, I hit play. And as I drove to my next destination, my jaw was almost on the steering wheel because everything she was saying was what I was experiencing. And all these light bulbs kept going off and off and off. And I realized what was happening at that point. That was the opening of the door to realizing I'm in an abusive relationship. Because in that book, she talks about how abusers think so differently than how we would think, how a normal person would think about relationships and about control and how they put you up on a pedestal. And then once you do something that is true to yourself, all of a sudden you topple off of that pedestal because you were on that pedestal for being a certain way. And all of a sudden when you do something that they don't think you should do because you're different than them, All of a sudden, you're no longer on that pedestal and things start going downhill. They really idealize us. But we're our own person. We're not them. We're not a reflection of who they are. We have agency. So once we fall off that pedestal, they start to try to do things to keep us in line and controlled to be that version of what they want us to be. And it's really insidious. Gaslighting. Oh my gosh. It can really start to just alter how you think of reality. Have you heard of the movie Gaslight? Have you have you seen yes, it or I heard have, of it? I have heard of it. It's quite famous. I yeah. haven't watched it yet. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. It has, I think, Joseph Cotton in it. And it's about a woman, an heiress, who marries this guy 
and she thinks she's in love. He's amazing. And he hires this person. This is before electricity. He hires this person to go to the part in the house that controls the gaslight and to dim the gaslights. And then when she looks up and says, what's happening? The gaslights are dimming. He makes her question her reality because he says, I don't know what you're talking about. They're, they're normal. So he keeps doing these little things to make her feel like she is crazy because she trusts him. She has no reason not to trust him. And his goal is just to get her money. And something ends up happening in the movie. Somebody ends up intervening and she discovers what's going on. But gaslighting is really insidious because you don't necessarily realize what is happening. You don't realize that the other person is gaslighting you. Deliberately. That, yes, deliberately. Absolutely. Can someone do that in, unconsciously, naturally, instinctively? Um, it's a good question. I don't, I mean, it's possible that abusers are so entrenched in their control that they're not, it's second nature for them. They're not in the moment thinking I'm going to do this to gaslight her because they're so used to doing it. And it's really a manipulation tactic. It really is with my ex-husband he would say, oh, we had a conversation about that. Don't you remember? And I didn't remember because we hadn't had the conversation. But he was trying to get me to feel off kilter. He was trying to get me to feel like I was crazy. I really wanted to have kids. And he would say, well, how can we even think about having kids when you can't even remember a conversation that we had? You know, it was really confusing and it's just a really horrible time. <laughs> they really make you live in this space where you just hate your life. You're, you're confused. You're... You ever had children with your ex-husband? No, we didn't. We didn't have kids. And, you know, that was one of the toughest things for me in deciding not to go back. After it got to that point, I was living in a domestic violence shelter. And I remember one day I went on a walk in this beautiful park and I asked myself, is there any situation where I could see myself going back to him? And I, in my head, I thought through all the scenarios and I thought, oh, I want to have kids. There had been reproductive control for sure on his part. He got this idea in his head that you should enjoy being engaged, even though it's really about planning the wedding. So he said, we didn't get to enjoy our newly wed or our engagement. So we should enjoy our um, newly wedness. And we have to take 10 trips before you even start trying to have kids. So they weren't amazing trips. It wasn't like we were going to the Bahamas. It was like, oh, we're visiting family out of state. We'll count that as a trip. Check. It wasn't anything nice because he was so frugal. But close to the time I ended up realizing what was happening, we got to 10 trips and 
I remember the day I was at my therapist's office and I said to her, oh, we're thinking about starting to have kids. And she was like, no, like flag on the play or whatever that sports metaphor is. <laughs> Just like, take a beat. Think about this. You've got all these other things going on. Let's figure those out first. Yeah. Of course, we never did because of the way things were. But to take that back to that day at the park, I was thinking, if I go back, we'll end up having kids. And I want to have kids, but what kind of person would I be if, because I wanted to have kids, I went back to him and I subjected those innocent little babies to a life tied with somebody who I know is abusive. That would be the height of selfishness for me. They would be tied to him for their whole lives. And I just thought, I can't do it. I started mentally mama bearing kids I didn't even have yet. And that was really a sacrifice and a hard thing because I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have kids. My mother's side of the family, they're are all premenopausal by the age of 40. And I, in a couple months, I'll be 40. So it was this giving up something I had really wanted because it was the right thing to do. And that was really hard, but it was the right thing to do. Yeah, Jackie. Um, I mean, I'm proud of you. I can't say if I can say, because (laughs) I have a lot of clients, you know, who think that to resolve their relationship challenges, they think that, well, why, why don't we have a child? Maybe this is going to bring us some happiness. This is going to bring us together again. But is this true? I remember Mm. also me being with my boyfriend, my first boyfriend, and I really wanted to have the family that I felt I never had. But one day I asked myself, how am I going to be as a mother? Am I going to be good? Am I going to be bad? I mean, I have my own challenges. And, and I'm so happy I didn't have children, Jackie, like you, because I wasn't in any position to be a good mother the way in the state I, I was. And now that I would say I am, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> but anyway, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought like you, I don't want to bring any new soul here to this uh, planet. There are already plenty of souls, plenty of babies, plenty of children, plenty of people who need help. And I cannot even help myself at this moment. So <laughs> why, you know? yeah. Whenever I'm ready, like now uh, I could say, okay, maybe it's not going to happen, but it's okay. So it's true. We need to look at ourselves. We talk about abusive yeah. people, but how about people who allow the abusive people to abuse them? How about us? Mm-hmm. What do we need to learn from, from that abuse? That's a good question. Uh, why yeah. us? Why us and not other people? This brings me to my next question. Are there certain personality types that are more vulnerable to be becoming the victims of relationship abuse? Yes, but they're not what you think. (laughs) My podcast is called Abuse is Not What You Think. And this totally flows into that. Because from society, from TV, we have this picture of abuse victims as downtrodden as codependent as people who are not strong we're weak we're susceptible we're and that's really just not true the one category 
of personality type that they really do target is somebody who is empathetic. Somebody who, and they've done studies on this, their agreeableness traits are off the charts. So that means we're incredibly forgiving. We're positive. We think the best of people. And this absolutely makes sense when you're thinking of the predator that is the abuser because they want somebody who's going to forgive them again and again and again. They want somebody who's empathic because that's particularly good life source for them to, as an energy vampire, suck up. They look for people like us and we're often confident and successful and abusers do look for those types of people because we make them look good frankly it's somebody that they can say oh i'm with her at the point that i met my abusive ex i was super successful i'd moved to nashville to become a singer-songwriter. I had released two albums. I was in a band. I was happy. And I was at this point where I thought, I want somebody to share my life with. So I jumped on eHarmony, which is where I met him. And I have a good friend that I interviewed for my podcast. And she said the same thing. I was so confident, so happy, so successful. And then I met this person. And we are empaths. We are kind and, like I said, forgiving and loving and long-suffering and incredibly agreeable. And they, they really prey on that. So I have discovered that I don't want to change those traits in me because I'm proud of those traits. They make me me. But what I can do is something I wish I had been taught when I was younger, which is having healthy boundaries. And the idea that saying no is not a bad thing. Because if you don't have boundaries, and most of us abuse victims don't have good boundaries, then that abuser is able to just come in and do whatever they want because they get no pushback because we're so agreeable. And that's one characteristic of abusers that you can watch out for is that they don't like boundaries or they will push your boundaries. They do not respect those boundaries that you've put up. So that's a really important thing to watch out for. As as I am dating, because I'm not in a relationship right now, but I've done dating post-divorce. And that's an important thing that I look for. Does somebody push my boundaries? Do they just assume that they can do whatever it is. And I had a friend once who gave me, I might've been a therapist, I don't remember, who gave me this visual of boundaries. It's like you have your house, you have your yard, you have your porch, and you have this little fence with a gate. And it's not a wall, although you might need to create a wall initially for you to be able to heal, but it's not a wall. People can come in and out, but you get to choose who comes in. You get to choose who you keep out. You let a certain amount of people into your yard, a smaller amount of people onto the porch, even smaller into your living room and then your kitchen, and then a very few people into your 
your bedroom, but you get to decide who you let into your life. And you can really apply that to so many different aspects of your life. You can apply it to work. You can apply it to family. You can, you can even apply it to technology. You know, you have those boundaries and it's really thinking about those boundaries ahead of time before they start to get pushed. So you can set those and say, this is what's healthy for me. And this is what I'm deciding. That sounds amazing. And this leads me to my next question. What are, let's say, the top three warning signs or red flags or smoking gun, however you want to call it, that would give a warning that something is not right? That is a great question. So like I just said, they, they push your boundaries. They are very often, and these two go in tandem with each other, They blame other people, but they themselves are always the victim. They can't handle criticism or feedback. So if somebody that you're dating, let's say, talks about their exes and how crazy they were and whatever, I mean, they may indeed be crazy, but it's also other things. Are, are they the victim? And they've got this sob story of da, 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 along with blaming other people because somebody who is growing and who's healthy takes responsibility for their life. Even if they're an abuse victim and says, you know what, this happened, it was awful, but I'm learning from it, which is a totally different perspective than, oh, the world's out to get me, this person, that person. And there's this underlying feeling that the world is out to get them which is very different than somebody who has gone through a lot of trauma and the way they talk about it. They talk about it from a more emotional place as far as where they're at instead of an angry place. That's which, right. in a compassionate way. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, so if they're blaming other people, if they don't, respect your boundaries, that's something to watch out for. Um, the other biggest thing is control. If they start to try to control certain things, watch out for that. And often with those agreeableness traits that we have as abuse victims, we can be like, oh yeah, we can go to that restaurant. That's no problem. Or yeah, that's fine. We Because we're so agreeable. But maybe challenge yourself to say, you know what, I would like to do this particular thing and put it forward. Can we do this? And just see how the other person reacts because those control factors can seem like something they have your best interest in mind. But really, it's starting to undermine your agency, to undermine your liberty and to really start to shape and control who you are. It can be how much time you're spending with your friends or your family. It can be somebody who is expecting you to text them right back when you're out with friends. It's somebody who's questioning you about where you are, about what you did. It's somebody who is wanting to have control 
And that should be the biggest thing probably that you look for because at the root of all abuse is coercive control. They want to control as many aspects of your life as they can to make sure that you can't leave, that you're isolated. And that's what they will do is they chip away at your life. So your life becomes smaller. Your circle of friends becomes smaller. You're isolated from people. You don't have your own tastes anymore. You do things the way they want them to be done just to keep the peace. And you end up being this teeny tiny little shell of who you were to begin with. So if they want to start to strip away elements of who you are, your choice your liberty, your decisions, who you hang out with, those should all be really ginormous red flags. That's really good. Yeah, great tips. <laughs> Thank you, Jackie. As I hear you saying all this, I'm also thinking of a different type of abusive person that I have in my mind. When I hear about abuse, I normally think immediately of that narcissistic person you know, normally a man, but definitely can also be a woman. And, I, and right now, I'm just changing this image in my mind. And I'm also thinking of those women who are very anxious, insecure, they are jealous, they have this fear of losing their partners, and they start controlling them. Where are you going? How long are you going to be out? When are you coming back? Who you are? Who are you going with? Who are you texting? You know, who is in your app, Facebook app? Who are those pictures? And checking their phone all the time. And it's even, I mean, they have their password, their partner's passwords, all these kind of things. It's really... Interesting because all these descriptions that you're saying, that you're giving us, it also resonates. They also resonate with what I'm saying, this type of woman, anxious, insecure woman. What would you say to this woman? Well, it depends on if she is indeed abusive or not. Because if she is just anxious and you know, I mean, it, it it may get to the point where an abuse victim acts like that because she's thinking, um, you know, oh, is this person having an affair? Are they, you know, running out on me? Or is, is my life going to implode? They're off kilter already. They, they're just so not themselves that they start to take on some of these characteristics that you know, when they objectively, if they looked at themselves, they'd be like, who is this person? I'm not this person. So being in an abusive relationship can make you do things you would not otherwise do. So let's just put that out there. It doesn't necessarily mean you are an abusive person, but if you were controlling in a pattern where there's the you know, the tension building phase where you're walking on eggshells, there's this explosion, then there's this, oh, I'll never be bad to you again. Da, 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 da. In that type of a pattern and a phase, that person, that woman, I would say, is abusive. And is there insecurity with abusers? Definitely, definitely with a lot of them. Um, maybe not a psychopath, but they really are unable to be introspective. That's another thing about them. 
they can seem like they're into personal growth in all these ways, but really deep down looking at who they are, it's too painful, which is why they create the, this false persona. But if it's a woman who is abusive, I wouldn't really have anything to say to her because she's not going to change. Nothing I would ever say would make a difference to her. So there's this idea that you can reason with people like this, that you can get them to change, that they're open to growth. But unless you want to change, unless you're open to growth and introspection, unless you're willing to do that hard work, because let's be honest, change is hard. Growth is hard. You have to have a reason. Unless you're growth-minded anyway and you love that, which oddly a lot of empaths are, mm. unless there's that in place, nothing's going to change. And, and I would tell most people that are in an abusive relationship, once you feel like you can escape, think about it. Think about putting a safety plan in place because it can be so dangerous to leave. That's what so many people don't realize. Leaving is the most dangerous time of all. Probably second only to pregnancy, actually. Because if, let's go back to that person that's in an abusive relationship that you mentioned earlier, who was like, oh, if we have a baby, that will solve things. No, that will make things worse because now that abuser doesn't have all your attention. Now your attention is divided between them and between your child or the pregnancy. And they don't like that. So often after the child is born, they will say, you're just paying attention to the child. You're not paying attention to me. And then that ends up affecting the child. And then of course that will often transfer to child abuse and so many different layers there but it's i would say never a good idea if you can help it to uh, to bring up bring a child into the world with an abuse it's a good point jackie because in fact i remember a few clients having told me that Either the woman or the man starts manipulating their partner with the child. Oh, so if you do that or if you don't do that, I will not let you see your child. Or even worse, a client said to me that her husband told her, if you leave me, I will kill our daughter in front of you. Yes. Daughter, like less than five years old. Uh, and these kind of things are very sad to hear. Yes. And so common because they know they can get away with it. Mm -hmm. They know that that will keep you there. That's another piece on the strategy game board game table for them to be able to play with to keep you from leaving the game, mm -hmm. to keep you from leaving them. Mm -hmm. And there is a case I remember hearing about where the mom was able to escape, but her child was not her son. And right before the father killed the son horrifically, he said to him, I'm sorry, but your mom made me do this oh. and killed the son in the most horrific way that I won't mention because it was, it was horrific. Mm. 
And that was his way of getting back at his wife because she left. They don't want you to leave because that means they they lost the game unless they leave on it on their terms. So if they do end up leaving, there's another cycle of abuse that's talked about, which is the idealize phase, the devalue phase, and the discard phase. So if they end up discarding you, yeah, that's horrible. That's painful. But you're freaking lucky. <laughs> you are so lucky that they left you. Because a favor. Yes, they did you a favor because they're moving on to somebody else. They're moving on to another victim. And they really can't be without a source of what's called narcissistic supply. That's that right. that life force. They have to be getting um, attention in some way, whether it's positive attention whether you're telling them, oh, you're so amazing, you're so loving, da, 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 or whether it's negative attention where they're abusing you and they're, they're getting back what you give them, either in shock or pain or fighting back or trying to escape or whatever. They are the ultimate drama kings and queens. They just thrive on it. Mm-hmm. They do not thrive on a peaceful atmosphere at all. No, that's right. They need their food to suck up, as you said, their energy. What would you what would you say, Yaki, to to a person who wants to leave an abusive relationship? You said that that's one of the most dangerous times, also when the pregnancy. What would you say to a person, to a woman or even a man who wants to leave an abusive relationship? What would be the best? strategy or the least dangerous strategy yeah so if you can be as calculated about it as possible that's the best if you can develop a safety plan that is going to serve you really well start if you can in some way setting aside a little bit of money to be able to escape with i know when i left i was making about three hundred dollars a month so it's and if you have children that makes it even more tricky but there are definitely resources out there whether you're in the uk or the us with in the uk it's refuge women's aid um in the us there are so many shelters there's a national domestic violence hotline just get in touch with one of those entities in any way that you can I don't know, maybe go to the library where they can't, the abuser can't track your computer usage because they're probably tracking you in some way. Um, I found out with my abusive ex, he had put a GPS tracker in my car. So after I left, he showed up at a restaurant where I was having dinner with a friend and just made this huge, crazy scene. And I had my location services turned off, my phone turned off. There's no way he should have known where I was. But I found out later he'd put a GPS tracker in my car, so we knew. Um, So reach out to those entities that are available to help you, to walk you through what that looks like to be able to leave safely. They can tell you what kind of things you would need to get together in kind of an escape kit. Um, Think about if you have family that you could go stay with or a friend. I know shelters seem kind of crazy, 
But having stayed in one, I can tell you that that first morning I woke up after being there, it felt like this boulder had just been rolled off my shoulders and I felt safe for the first time in a long time. And that goes such a long way. It's, it's incredible. Be prepared after you leave to go no contact with them if you can. That is going to be the best thing. That was the best thing for me because they'll do what's called hoovering, which if you're not from the UK, that means vacuuming here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) After you leave, they will try to suck you back in. And if you've cut off contact with them, it's much harder for them to do that. So if you can, go no contact. In the UK, there are coercive control legislation laws. So as much as you can keep track of what's happening, another really helpful thing is having a journal, maybe in a place where they can't read it, hide it. So you can write down what's going on. So later you have evidence or for yourself, you can look back at at it and see exactly what was happening, especially if they try to gaslight you. Oh, we didn't have that conversation. Yes, we did. And I wrote about it in my journal. So it journaling really helps keep you sane. But if there are people in your community, maybe that you've been isolated from as well, reach back out to them and try to reestablish contact with them and let them know what's going on. And you might be surprised at how many people are willing to help you escape, but just do it in as calculated a way as you can, because what you want to do is you want to avoid as much as you can, them knowing where you are, them being able to have contact with you. And I know this gets trickier when you have children involved because there are elements related to custody and you know, they can follow you after they have custody visits with the children. But the more that you put in place to be able to show the police that coercive control is happening, that abuse is happening, the safer you are going to be if you can document all of that. So document, 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 call people, start getting your community together so you can make an effective break. Because, and I know you might know the statistic, Rebecca, but the average times that an abuse victim tries to escape before the final time that they successfully do is seven times. So you want to do whatever you can to make sure that this time when you leave, it is successful and you're able to successfully stay away. So Educate yourself by reading the types of books that I mentioned. There's so many amazing books about it. There are incredible podcasts out there. Start listening to my podcast if you want. Mm -hmm. Um, Just the more that you can realize you're not alone in this, the more helpful it will be. And you can do it. I hear what you're saying because many times uh, when I I help women trapped in abusive relationships, they tell me that they've called the police a few times. And even when they got this paper uh, saying that the victims could not be near the abusive person, you know, ex-meters and all that, a victim actually allows the abusive person to come back again. Talk to us a little bit about the trauma bond, the social mm. 
attachment that happens that the victim cannot let go of the abusive person until enough is enough. But before that, a lot happens. It's true. And it's so difficult to extricate yourself from this person, not just because you love this person. So if you think of like a normal breakup, that would be traumatic. You know, it feels like maybe part of your soul is stuck with that other person after you leave. So when you put the layers of abuse on top of that, when you leave, it's even worse because going through the cycle of honeymoon, tension building, explosion, and back again creates this trauma bond is what it's called. And it's like they cause the pain, but they are also the source of healing that pain. And your immediate reaction, because you've, condi- you've been conditioned with this process over and over and over as it's happened, your immediate natural response will be to go back to this person and to believe them when they say they're going to change. They are not going to change. They will say they can, they will over and over again. So the more that you can, it's painful realizing that truth, but the more that you can realize that painful truth of they are not going to change, then it's a little easier to withstand that hoovering. But the trauma bonding just makes it so difficult because you love this person. You want to be kind to them. You saw your future with them potentially. I mean, it was the most humbling thing in the world to watch my marriage disintegrate. Coming from a really conservative Christian background where I was told that divorce is bad, you never divorce. And the thing is, if you're thinking, and you have kids, for instance, I don't want my kids to be from a broken home. I heard somebody say once at an abuse support group meeting, they said, you're either from a broken home or you're in a broken home. So do you want to be in a broken environment? And this person has probably told you that no one else will want you, that you're unlovable, you're lucky to have them. Let me tell you, that is categorically not true. That is something that they have made you believe so they can suck you right back in. But knowing that in your head and knowing that emotionally are two different things, So you also want to be gentle with yourself. And if there's any way you can join an abuse support group or you can join a therapy group or have one-on-one therapy, that is going to go so far in helping you heal and help you unpick these knots of what has happened. So you start to have these light bulb moments. And I think of it almost like when you're going to an optician to have your prescription for glasses or contacts. They put this big machine over you and they they show you different lens strengths. And they say, is, is this better or is this better? Can you see this clearer or can you see that clearer? And every time you educate yourself about abuse and what has happened, you look back at the lens of your, you look back at your experience through a different lens through a clearer lens. So by the time you really have educated yourself and understand what you've gone through, you're able to look back at it and say, oh, 
That's what happened. And there is so much vindication that comes from that. You feel vindicated. You feel like, okay, I wasn't crazy. Okay, it wasn't me like they said. Okay. And you start to then accept yourself and start loving yourself again. Because these abuse environments just create this real environment where you don't love yourself at all because of what they've told you and because of what you've experienced. That's right. That's why that journaling thing that you mentioned before could be really good because as you read and read again and again what you, what has happened, you can actually become more conscious of what is going on that you want to deny because it's too, pain, it's too painful to believe, but eventually you just can't deny it anymore. Yep. It's true. It is, it is painful and it's shocking, especially because of what we've been taught about abuse and the type of person that ends up in an abusive relationship. So once you realize, oh, I ended up in an abusive relationship because they were a predator, because they preyed on me, because I didn't see what they were doing, because I'm an empathetic, kind, forgiving, and loving person, you have nothing to be ashamed about. For getting into a relationship with this kind of person because you were targeted. That's you a very targeted point, uh, Jackie, because there's a lot of shame and denial in these situations when we don't want to talk about it, to even tell our friends, tell our parents. We don't want to talk about it. We're hiding. We are not willing, willing to recognize it because we just take it personally. And yes, maybe we need to learn something about what happened. What if we could identify those red lines, red flags before early on? But what if also there is something else going on and it's not just about us? Exactly. What is wrong with being empathetic and kind? Um, We just need to see (laughs) what we cannot see. It's absolutely true. And I think that shame piece is really important. I think if you look at the Me Too movement, what that did was take something that there was a lot of shame around that women in particular had experienced. And through women speaking up about their experiences, they all of a sudden realized I have nothing to be ashamed about. Look at so many other women that are experiencing this too. And I really feel like the abuse conversation is the next me too, because once we start to talk about it, it's no longer hidden. It's no longer swept under the rug. We can start to realize how many other people are going through this. We can start to shine a light on it and say, this is no longer acceptable in society. So the consequences ramp up. And things start to eventually change. That's right. What are some myths surrounding abusive relationships, abusive people, empaths, victims of abuse? Yeah. So the interesting thing, and we talked about it a little bit before with, you know, um, with abuse victims being more empaths and kind and loving and that they can be, you know, hugely confident in the myths surrounding that. The interesting thing with abusers is they can present in different ways. So for instance, I have several, well, I have an ex-fiance that I can look back now knowing what I know and say he was abusive. 
And I can look back at an ex-boyfriend and say, ah, he was abusive. But with that, with that first one, with the ex-fiance, he had a quote, anger issue. And he would turn on a dime. This is another aspect of, of abusers. They get just really angry often. And after that relationship ended, I said, okay, I am not going to be with somebody if they have an anger issue. But with that other one, the ex-boyfriend, he didn't have an anger issue. He presented in a different type of way. He was much more covert. He seemed like he was sensitive. He came across as like he was kind. And I thought, oh, this is the opposite of the other person. So I didn't realize that he was also abusive, but he was more passive aggressive and covert. And there are, there's a really good list in the book I mentioned by Lundy Bancroft. Why does he do that? And he talks about the different categories, the different types of guys, because he, he frames it in the males are abusers and females are the victims just for the sake of his book. And he talks about the different types of guys. And one is like Mr. Sensitive. He's, he, you know, he always is crying. He seems like he's in touch with his feelings. He's, but he is abusive as well. Then there's the more military demand man where he demands that you do certain things. And he is very, strong personality and so it's not it's not that because somebody has a strong personality they're an abusive person that's definitely not it and it's not that because somebody is sensitive and has deep feelings they're an abusive person either it's the other things that you need to watch out for like the control and the crossing the boundaries the blaming other people never taking responsibility that's a huge one they are unable to truly apologize to say, I'm so sorry for what I did and for the pain that I caused you because they honestly feel like they don't have anything to apologize about. They don't think they did anything wrong. And the other really interesting thing is the empath conversation. They do not have the ability to be empathetic because their, their empathy receptors in their brain are smaller and thinner and in some cases, like with the sociopath and psychopath, they're non-existent. So they may come across as empathetic because they have learned to mimic to get what they want, but really they're unable to be empathetic. They don't care if somebody else gets hurt. You see this a lot in corporate culture. Somebody who they get ahead because they don't care who they have to step on or fire or bulldoze to get there. They often come across as very charismatic. People like them, which is something that makes it even more difficult for a, an abuse victim to come out and say, hey, this happened to me because people don't believe it. They think this person, this amazing person who's so charismatic, who I really like, how could that person be abusive? And then it just makes it that much harder for the victim to come out and say, this happened to me and for people to believe them. So those are some important elements in the mix. 
Thank you. That was an interesting point to, to remark. And when we say, Jackie, why don't they just leave? What dynamics are we seeing? As before you mentioned that living is, can be one of the most dangerous uh, moments. Also when they are pre women are pregnant, what is going on in that uh, dynamic that living is just so hard? We've also talked about the tra trauma bond. Yes, so all of those elements make it difficult to leave. But what people also don't see is the relationship has been set up from the outset for the purpose of her not leaving. So this is not as simple as, hey, you're not a kidnap victim, just walk out the door. No, he will probably find you. She will probably find you because of technology, stalking. You really have to be intentional about it if you can, or else they're going to find you, talk you back into it. It's like my therapist described it once as it's sticky. It's like tar to get tar on your feet to get away from. It's, it's so sticky that it's in some cases just feels impossible to escape from. The other really important element to remember is the financial abuse. So if you have kids and you're hardly making anything, and this person has isolated you from your family and your friends, like, where are you going to go? Maybe they took over the finances, so you don't have access to anything but the small amount that they gave you. Maybe they have said, oh, I don't want you working. You need to stay home with the kids. So you don't know anybody anymore outside of that relationship really it takes other people to be able to leave and when you're so broken down in the first place from what has happened it takes an enormous amount of strength it takes an enormous amount of energy to say i'm going to get myself out of this situation to something else because that something else is a big void is a big who knows what's going to happen who knows if I'm going to be able to get a job? Who knows if I'm going to be able to support myself and my kids potentially? Maybe you have a beloved pet that you are thinking about going to a shelter, but the pet can't come with you. What is that person going to do to the pet to get back at you? There's so many elements at play that the odds are really stacked against you being able to leave, which is what comes into play with that statistic of it takes seven times on average to successfully escape and leave, <clears throat> which is why it's really important that culturally we start having these conversations and we start putting things into place like shelters that are easy, easily accessible, like phone numbers and hotlines that you can call to say, Hey, I need help. Can you help me figure this out? Because when you're trying to leave, you really need resources outside of yourself to be able to leave and stay gone. So also <clears throat> knowing that those people are out there, knowing those resources are out there and they are willing and ready to help you escape and to live your new life. That's right. 
And I guess you've already mentioned how many different, exam different examples of what coercive control is and what role does it play in a abusive relationship? Oh, that's a huge one. So we've been conditioned to think of abuse as a violent incident. So when I thought of abuse, I thought of somebody who's being punched or hands around the throat. It's a physical incidence. But that's not what it is at all. That's maybe what you see poking out of the water of the iceberg. But really, the foundation and what underlies it is coercive control. And the thing about coercive control is it can show up in so many different ways in so many different relationships. It is as unique to that specific relationship as fingerprints are to an individual. It could be a woman is really uh, like her thing is painting her nails, let's say. And he tells her, you know, I don't really like it when you paint your nails like that. You look like a whore. You look like a hussy. You really shouldn't do that. What are you trying to do? Attract attention to yourself? And so she doesn't want to have these messages constantly told to her. And she thinks, oh, I'm not, am I? And so she drops that little piece that made her her, that was important to her. It could be something like, I don't like the way you're cutting vegetables. You need to cut it this way. It could be, why are you loading the dishwasher that way? It could be your patterns around whether you keep the lights on or not. That was one of the things for me. We had a really skinny and tall townhouse. And I grew up in a family where you keep the lights on wherever you're at. But every time I would go to a new floor or I would be doing something in a different room, Why didn't you turn the lights off in the other room? Don't you know that's wasting money? So I was so conditioned to, I leave a room, I turn the lights off, that when my dad came to help me move out, I kept turning the lights off when we go to a different room. And he said, let's just leave the lights on in the rooms and the hallways that we need until we're done. Like, why are you keep doing this? And I didn't even realize that I was self-regulating. And that's what we end up doing is we end up regulating ourselves to fit what they want without even realizing it just to keep the peace. So control can come out in a myriad of ways. Maybe controlling who you're talking to, trying to isolate you that way, making sure they know where you are at every moment in time making sure that they know who you're talking to, making sure that you're not wearing something they don't like. It's controlling every aspect of your life so you become the type of person that they want you to be, which is never going to work because you're a different person. So there's always going to be this tension because you want to be yourself and they don't want you to be yourself. They want you to be the way you, they want you to be. Uh, with me, there was even control around food. And I had had um, kidney stones early in our relationship. And 
he would just say, well, you shouldn't eat that, you know, because you don't want to get kidney stones. I'm just trying to look out for you. I don't want you to be in pain. Well, that was not the case at all. He just wanted a way to control me. And that ended up being it. So based on your interests, your place in life, this, the control aspects can be so, so different. But if you're thinking about your relationship and you're wondering, is this person abusive? What you want to think about is, are they controlling? Are they controlling my life in any ways? Because the physical abuse that we think of as actual abuse isn't. It's part of it, but it's really a symptom of it. It's almost a side effect because all of these other control pieces, if they're not getting the control that they want, they will ramp it up. They will maybe say they're getting a gun, but just leave out bullets on the countertop. I heard about happening. Just so you know, mm, there's that incessant threat there. They haven't done anything to you necessarily yet, but there's that possibility. I have an aunt who was in a 20-year abusive marriage, and I asked her once, how long into your marriage was it before the physical abuse started? And she told me it was two years. Mm. So it's, it's a continuum, it's a spectrum, and it may never get to the physical, but there's always that possibility that it will, or maybe it already has. So physical abuse is just another way to control you. Definitely. Wow, Jackie, so much food for thought you've given us today <laughs> and so many resources oh to, to read, to watch. I got all these things here, which I will share in the podcast for our audience. Thank you so much, Jackie. How can people be in touch with you and find more about what you do? Thank you. Yes, they can listen to my podcast. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any place you find your podcasts. And it's called Abuse Isn't What You Think. And I am the host, Jackie Graybill. So you can listen to my podcast. Also, you can check out my milkshake, which I'll give you the link. It's a, a link tree replacement that's more fun. So I'll give you that. And you can check out what I'm doing there and connect with me. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jackie, for being here with us today. And my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, I can't wait to share uh, this podcast with all my clients. Yay! <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining us. And please remember to subscribe and to leave us a review. Who could you share this episode with that needs to hear this message? Share this episode and remember that the quality of your relationship determines the quality of your life. See you on the next episode.